Hi there. My name's Jane Anderson. Thank you so much for joining me on the Jane Anderson Show today. I'm thrilled that you are here and that I get to introduce you to today's very special guest. So before I do that, I thought I would share with you a few things that I'm out noticing and what I'm seeing out in the market and tell you about a few things that are happening at the moment. So, um, so I've been doing uh, a lot of work. I've come off the back of working with uh, the Trusted Book. I created the Trusted Book this year and that's been the focus on helping leaders to be able to communicate more effectively to be able to build trust, connection, relationships and respect uh, in the workplace so that people can get more done and ultimately helping the bottom line to be able to grow more. Um, but what I the re, half the reason why I wrote it was one was because of leaders in organisations and being able to get a sense of one part is their personal brand but you have to actually communicate that so it was for organizations but the other reason why I wrote it is because I've been working with a lot of experts in their field and helping them to be able to build their lead generation which is after I wrote expert to influencer and what I noticed was people kind of suddenly got all these people they got all these tribe and they got all these people on their list because they did expert to influencer and then they're kind of going oh so how do I run these people and I thought something was really interesting. I spoke at an event and it was an event where there are a bunch of experts and I asked them, who do you lead? Now, most of these people were experts in their field and they just had themselves or a VA or a virtual assistant. And, uh, and they all said, I don't lead anybody. And I thought, wow, okay, we've got a problem here. We've got a problem in that we've got experts in their field who are solopreneurs, but they actually don't realize that they're running a tribe and a community of people. So you actually have to be a leader. So the book was written to help also experts in their field. Um, and not just seeing that your business is the people you lead, you need to lead a community, you need to lead a tribe. So if you're an expert listening to this today, one of the things I really want to encourage you to think about is even though it might be just you running your practice or your business, and Maybe you have a virtual assistant or you have somebody who helps you with your social media. This is not the only person that you lead. I really want to encourage you to make sure that you are focusing on you as a leader in your community. Um, you are a leader of your message and you are a leader of the tribe that you have built. These are all the people on your list, on your database, the people you have worked with. So I really want, I wrote the book Trusted because I wanted people to see themselves as a leader. So I hope that's helpful for you. You can jump onto Amazon, you can jump onto the website and access the Trusted book. Um, and um, if you purchase one on the website, if you reach out to uh, one of the team, if they can catch me, I'll happily sign it for you. So just make sure you ask. Uh, so other than that today, um, so a few things coming up between now and the end of the year, you may know that I've been running the content creation bootcamp, which we've had incredible success with. So the idea with the content creation bootcamp is to create 12 months worth of uh, content and IP in two days. And so we had seven people come along to the, the very first one I ran. They created 357 pieces of content in two days. So that's entire years worth of, of content created. So there's some more of those running. We'll have Brisbane, uh, sorry, Gold Coast running again, and we'll have, um, what's the other one I've got? Uh, uh, Melbourne, we've possibly got lined up for November. So if you are interested and we haven't put it up on the website yet, we're still working on dates, um, uh, but lock, should lock that in this week. So keep an eye out if you are in Melbourne. 
So other than that, I wanted to share with you today's very, very special guest. Our special guest today is a gentleman called Dr. Richard Heismans. I've done a lot of work with Richard and I've been dying to get him on the show to be able to introduce you to him because Richard is one of the most incredible people I know. He is um, an expert in research translation. So what that means is if you are, if you're listening to this and you're not an academic, then you'll already know what that means for Richard. Uh, but for those who are going, what is research translation? When you're working with universities and research institutes, which Richard and I do a lot of, because we work with experts, is that uh, they've done some incredible work in terms of their, their research. The challenge is being able to get the general reader, the average reader to understand it. And so what they have to do is essentially translate the research that they've done into language that the average day-to-day -day person could read and understand. So it's kind of like reading an article. And so we've done a bit of work with this with um, and we've also done LinkedIn for research translation as well, where we work with universities and research institutes to be able to leverage their LinkedIn profile to access industry funding opportunities and, um, and collaboration. So I wanted to share with you uh, this exciting interview today in case you, this might be helpful for you. You know, Richard's helped um, hundreds of researchers uh, he has such a, a deep understanding and knowledge of the grant process. Um, he does a lot of work in helping people access industry and funding and then also works with people like research managers, um, centre and institute directors, uh, deputy and pro vice chancellors, uh, faculty managers, all those types of people and he helps them to take their research projects, research teams and translate all this into practice and uh, taking it to industry. So he helps with a lot of things like career growth for PhD students. Uh, he also works with things like building research teams, strategic planning, um, project management, research support. Um, but he has some incredible results and get this, he has 100% of proposals for new institutes <laughs> excuse me he his, has a hundred percent of his proposals for new research institutes and centers get funded isn't that extraordinary 100 percent uh, 67 percent of the clients that he works with uh, get their grants and tenders uh, funded and 80 percent of his clients return for new work so he has a lot of people come back he works with people like Monash University, La Trobe Institute, uh, sorry, La Trobe. He and I have worked with La Trobe Institute of Molecular Science. We've worked with RDNS, which is the Royal District Nursing Service, um, which is a research institute as well. He's done a lot of work with um, uh, uh, the health department, particularly in Victoria, CSIRO, all those types of places. So, um, so I'd really encourage you, make sure you jump on Richard's LinkedIn profile, let him know you've listened to the show today, but uh, enjoy the interview today. Make sure you keep an eye out for the content creation boot camps if you haven't already. And I look forward to seeing you, you at one at sometime in the future. Okay, hi there, Richard, and welcome. I'm so excited that you are on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. 
All right. So, Richard, you know, I mean, for everybody who's listening or watching um, the recording, you've, uh, Richard and I have done a bit of work together working with universities and research institutes, but today I really want to tap into hearing about what um, Richard's work and what he's done. And, and uh, so we've been friends for some time and worked together, which has been terrific. And uh, so I really wanted to get Richard on today so that you can hear what um, the work that he does with his clients, because I think it's I think it's just so important today. So Richard, you know, tell us about um, the work that you do. You do a lot of work with universities and research institutes. So tell us about the work you go out and do with them. What do you deliver? How do you work with them? Thanks, Jane. Yes, yeah, so I can summarise it pretty quickly. So people with PhDs or people getting a PhD, I work mainly with those people. And uh, what I do with them is help them answer the question, of what do I do next? And for PhD students, that's often a career question. Mm -hmm. For more established researchers, it doesn't have to be, it could be a career question, but it could be how do I make the most of my research and therefore what do I do next to leverage my research? Or uh, how do I get, uh, what do I do next? Um, I wanna get an industry partner, what, what should I do? I want to use social media, what do I do next? And so a lot of what I do is therefore coaching and training workshops, et cetera, things like that to help go from, I don't really know what to do next to now I know what to do next. And then the implementation piece. Right. Um, that means that when I work with the researchers, I'm helping them understand what skills that they have yeah. and what their audience might want to hear about and then what the interaction between those two things would be. So uh, if I was to do a, a visual presentation, there might be a Venn diagram and in the intersection <laughs> of what you know and what they want is relevance. And that's what I'm helping them do. Yeah. Right. So that relevance is really key to them getting in front of, so if I've done, if I'm in the process of doing my PhD, so you're working with me to say, okay, once I've done this, well, how am I going to apply my knowledge? How am I going to get um, uh, funding for further research? Yep. How am I going to work with industry? Is that right? Yep. yep. So all of that is what I would call relevance. I think we've worked in the past together and talked about it in the context of translation. So translating your research into something that someone else might want to hear about or know about. And in the research field, a lot of the times they talk about translating your work into real world outcomes. And so that the word translation is often used as well. But I think people are more interested in how they are relevant to others and how others are relevant to them uh, than they are in what translation is. And I guess from the point of view of myself, translation often gets confused with, oh, you translate from English into German as opposed to translate in from, from scientist into non-scientist. Yes. And so, Richard, and what about, do you work, and you obviously do work with people, like sometimes when they've um, got to the point of that PhD, they're either setting up possibly a consulting firm or they could yeah. be setting up their own practice. We talk a lot about building your personal personal brand mm -hmm. um uh what are you noticing do you the work that you do because you obviously do some work with some that who are interested in building their name.com um yeah. what are you not what are you noticing with them what are their challenges with doing that do they find it you know hard being yeah. you know center of attention and yeah. what are you so i think um as you said at the end there that being the center of attention is a massive barrier to going out and setting up, you know, your name.com, your, you know, your brand, mm. but 
my advice to any researcher out there thinking, should I do it or shouldn't I do it? Is the answer to me is that you should, because you can control that environment. You can control your own website. You can control your own Twitter, your own LinkedIn, all of the social media. You can control that. You can't control what your employer does with that information. You can't control mm. what grant providers do with that information. You can't control what funders do it with it, what collaborators do with it. And often, we want to build our own brand. We want to build our own content, but the university says, oh, your website can only be this long with this many pages and refer to this content. But your personal website, the one you control can say anything, obviously you know, within all the legal constraints that we operate in, but you know, you can have all of your old information up there, your new information. Um, and, and so I think you talked about if they wanted to set up their own consultancy, mm. whereas I would think about it, not just for your own consultancy, if you just want to be known in research, Set up a yourname.com, it'll be far more findable than if you live buried on a university website. And indeed, Mm. there's nothing to say that you can't refer from your university website to yourname.com website and vice versa. Right. Certainly, the analogy that I use with researchers all the time is, um, and with non-researchers as well, is the high street. So if you think about a high street, the, the council that controls the high street is a bit like the university. They, they try and encourage people to come and visit the high street, but they themselves can't force people to buy. They can't force people to sell. And you as the researcher, you're the individual store on the high street. So you manage how your brand is presented to the world within the constraints of whatever the council says. So if you live in Melbourne or I live in Melbourne, I should say, and coffee shops are, are a must, but you can see that the, the, the high streets all put, these little discs on the ground where your chairs can go out to so that passers-by can walk on the footpath without being interrupted by the cafe. And right. so you know, that to me would be a constraint that they've got to work within in order to get business and have a big enough floor space to serve customers, but also operate within the constraints of the high street. So I think thinking of yourself as a small business operating within the context of some other constraint is a much more effective way of thinking of the way of promoting your research than thinking the university is going to necessarily help you or hinder you, if that makes sense. Yes. And Richard, what about, um, I noticed that, you know, being able to connect with people more at a human level too, like, you know, you can access, you're not just sort of sitting waiting for people to find you. You can, you know, if I'm a, I know you and I have talked a lot about the changes in funding yeah. Uh, with um, ARC and NH, uh, NHMRC. NHRMC. And, uh, and National Health and Medical Research Council, yeah. Yeah, so those types of, you know, industries, all that, um, all the, the systems that they've had in place for funding research has all changed. So, you know, now being able to, I can now access, if I'm a researcher, I can access industry, but the way that I can find that or they can find me is now I'm going to search or find, I'm going to look for someone like you and I can do that in the, in the confines of just LinkedIn. Like yeah. gonna, is that right? So are you finding that more, uh, starting to get a bit more comfortable with LinkedIn or are they still holding back a little bit? Um, so there's more and more researchers on LinkedIn and I think some of that is uh, universities are encouraging their PhD students to get on. Okay. Uh, I think there's a bit of a gap between being on social media and being a participant. Right. So, um, I can't remember the um, the full ledger. You probably can say it more effectively than me. But the likers, lurkers, um, there's four or five. Maybe you want to complete. Yeah, that. likers, lurkers, um, 
I think uh, uh, Lycus Lurkers loses and <laughs> leverages or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but ultimately, I think a lot of researchers end up being on there as lurkers. And that's not said in a pejorative sense. They get on there and they feel a bit uncomfortable about how to act. Yes. Social media. So, and I guess, again, the best analogy for that is to think about it as a presentation or a conference. You know, you if you've got something good to say or a, qu a good question to ask, you should be out there asking if you like what people have said or posted. You know, in a conference, you'd clap, but on social media, generally, well, you can clap. You can put the clap emoji. That's a good metaphor. You'd like. So, at least get into the idea of getting being a participant, and then people will see you on there. Yes. Um, I guess there's two things that I wanted to pick out from your question as well. So in terms of the the funding bodies, the Australian Research Council, the ARC, and the National Health and Medical Research Council, the NHMRC, yes. they're looking for researchers to have more impact. And when they talk about impact, they're talking about end user impact. And often that means impact on non-researchers, on non-academics. And wow. I think one of the ways that they find acceptable and I think is acceptable is to have large social media following that you can then communicate your research to and have them pick it up and, you know, talk about it in various forums, whether that's in print media, in television, on other people's blogs, etc. So that's social media, I think is really useful for doing that impact piece. And right. I was at a talk yesterday at, on Wednesday at Monash university and they, I said to them, you know, you can really build the communication aspect of your grant without even knowing what the grant is after because you can get on social media, grow a following around good content in your space and have, you know, you and I have talked about this. It doesn't matter whether you've got 10 or 100 followers. It's about how many of those followers actually engage with you. Yes. And if you can get nine out of your 10 followers to always engage with your content, that's far better than having one person out of a thousand engage with your content. Absolutely. So, I think so. I was encouraging that kind of thing. I think in that context, social media from now is a good idea for researchers, not just for when you're going for your grant. Yes. The the um the other thing is social media now has allowed what researchers might consider to be non-experts to be found and to be seen as experts. So anyone can search the internet on any topic. Yes. And you know the internet decides. You know Google decides what's ranked number one. And who knows, that could be an academic, that could be a non-academic, that could be someone who's got views that are not mainstream, they could be someone that, whose views are backed up by research. And so if you as an academic want to be heard, you have to be found on Google. And I think you use the thing, the best place to hide a dead body is on the second page of a Google search. <laughs> and I, you know, I couldn't agree more. Who goes past page two? <laughs> yeah. And so I think as researchers, if you want to be found, like a journalist isn't going who's the best academic in this. They're just going, all right, who knows heaps about whatever, personal branding, who knows heaps about translation and boom, they go to that person. They're not, you know, you, you get called up regularly and with all due respect, you're not an academic in this no. space, but lots of real world experience, mm. but they're coming to you and saying, what's successful? What's not successful? What should we do? What shouldn't we do? And yes. I think researchers, if they want to be included in that chat, have to be found, findable in the same places. Yeah, it's and it's funny, I was actually going to even ask you about that because I know Dr. Graham Codrington, who is a futurist and he's, um, he's written for far, his article in Fast Company magazine in 2015, even though it was four years ago, it was the most read article of the year and it was about the impact of personal branding 
It was the changes that that means for those who are academics mm. who are building. They're going to be it, it, because if I was saying uh, I ran a women's um, leadership program, Women with Influence, with Griffith University here in Brisbane recently, and I was explaining to them that you know I can create a certification around my IP, which I've got, which is expert yeah. to influencer, and I can teach that to marketing consultants. And yeah. the relevance of that, it's applied to real world and mm. I'm essentially competing with a cert for in social media. Yeah. So I don't need to go and get it certified. I don't need it to go through a, a tertiary qualification no. because, uh, and so most of them that come, will come to me is they go, I just want to learn the real skills. I just, yeah. I just need to implement now. And in fact, even just, um, uh, you know, the assessment process and things like that. And um, so I, I was saying with this group the other day, which is what Dr. Graham Codrington was saying, is that for universities and research institutes, the model is changing so much because, uh, and Tracy Hughes, who I interviewed not long ago, uh, is the world's most awarded hairdresser. She said yeah. the same thing. She said, you know, even you don't have to go to TAFE to, become a world-class hairdresser anymore you just no. watch a youtube video and if you can follow that and work <laughs> it out and you can get results for people mm. you've got a business yeah so you've got a brand you've got a following so what are your thoughts like and you were saying that you know what that means for uh those in academia is now they've got to lift their game to kind of yeah. compete with this now yeah yeah definitely i think well I think there's two, my response is twofold. The first is if you're an academic and you're not being asked your opinion as an expert in a particular topic and you want to be, you've got to be on social media. Yeah. And if you're not being asked and you're okay with it, then that, that's fine. I think if, if, if you don't want to be asked, if you're not getting contacted, then you don't need to. But ultimately, you will, there's a big push towards industry, towards impact. And certainly the most recent, Australian, um, excess, uh, what's it called? The Australian, um, there's a, every four years there's a review of how effective Australian research is. And it just, can't, it's called era, um, okay. excellence in research for Australia. Sorry. Okay. I was blank. Yeah. So that was just, um, released the one for 2019 was released a week or so ago. And that for the first time included impact statements, but the, right. the, the equivalent um, exercise in the UK has had impact statements for a while. And so if you, as a researcher, if you don't have impact, if you can't have impact, then you're going to be marked down on this uh, excellence in research exercise. Right. And that doesn't have a massive amount of funding implications yet, but it, it may well do. And then there are international ranking scores as well that also look at um, industry impact and social impact of, the research that you're doing as well as the, the education that you're doing. And again, if you're not on social media, if you're not getting out to the public, that's okay. But you, you will soon find that your scores will be dragged down because you're not being, you're not influencing others. You can't let other people know how good you are. And mm. even if you're not on social media, the mm. um, international university rankings, one of the, one of the biggest measures they use for the university ranking as a whole university, we're not talking now, not as an individual is survey so they will ask people and they they're not just academics there are non-academics in there as well who do they think is the best university in x and you'll list what you think are the top 10 universities in that topic area uh -huh. and so if your university doesn't come up now you, you people don't know but if you're on twitter if you're on social media and people know that you're from 
university X, then it can, you can give your university and therefore your own research a boost in these international rankings. So it's, it's, I think it's increasingly important if researchers aren't seeing that, if they're dismissing it as not being important, I think that's a problem. But if you're, if you're making a conscious decision to stay out of it, you know, go for it. That's, that's like anything else you can choose not to play and that's okay. But choosing to ignore it is I think not the right thing. Yeah, and that's interesting because that came up with the group that I delivered last week where uh, particularly for women too, our, our, sometimes our fear is, or well, this came up in this particular group, was a fear of I'm already too busy, a fear of if putting myself out there, I'm just going to get busier. Um, I don't know yeah. if I really want more work. Yeah. Um, uh, and what I love about the social media conversation is that uh, – uh, we had a conversation around PR and um, uh, TV interviews and things like that. And there was a fear around sometimes my message might not get picked up properly or it might be misconstrued or, you know, like you said, it's um, being able to leverage platforms like LinkedIn or if it's Twitter or whatever is, is the control you've got over your message. Mm. Um, and you can still protect your brand a lot in a way. I think sometimes people think, oh, if I get on social media, I'm going to lose control. But it's oh. actually, You've got, you've, that's actually the best way that you can gain totally. control, isn't it? I mean, you know, we're producing this video now with no one else's permission other than our own. And it'll go, it'll go wherever it goes based on that, not based on whether the university thinks it's good. Editing will be entirely up to us. The message is entirely up to us. So I think far more control over this kind of content than, than content that would go um, out via another channel that you have zero control over. Yeah. So tell us all about your book. You've got it sitting there right beside yeah. you and everybody's probably wondering, what is that book there? Strategically so, placed. It's yep. strategically placed, yes. So tell us all about your book, Connect the Dots. What's the title yep. again? So Connect the Dots, a guide to for researchers getting industry partners, like, a, like we're just talking about, that idea of impact. Uh, so I just go through in the book some ways that I've helped organizations to get industry partners and individuals to get industry partners. Uh Some of the things that I've found have worked and some of the tools that people could use in order to build their, their likelihood of getting an industry partner. So for example, uh, if we talk about biomedical research, often Mm -hmm. those researchers and particularly people who might describe themselves as basic researchers. So researchers who investigate say how a cell works mm-hmm. they often don't think of themselves as having the ability to interact with industry and right. so that stems from the idea that if you're just working out how a cell works you might not be able to have an end use for that knowledge until later on which is fair enough but what i go through in the book is that there's lots of things that you do already that people are interested in so what about the research techniques that you use the research writing that you do, the technical writing that you do, all of those things are potentially things that you could connect with industry over, not just your knowledge around how a cell works, if that makes, or how to investigate how a cell works. Right. And I've seen people successfully commercialize, you know, their the process that they use for research rather than the outcome of their research, which again is if you think about protecting your own IP and whether you're happy to give it away or sell it, and, and I'm happy for you to give your IP away, that's fine, your prerogative. Um, and so it's easier to give away your method because you're not so attached to that versus the outcome, which you are quite attached to. Right. And Richard, do you find that this happens 
like some of the challenges that you talk about in the book, is it, mm -hmm. you know, across all universities or all sort of um, uh, specialties, or is it some in particular that experience the challenge of being able to, to, to do that, to access industry or or it's funny all I think all disciplines struggle in similar ways and so like I said they all have this idea that I want to commercialize my outcome not my process um, and that, that that is the first constraining factor that I think researchers need to reconsider is can I commercial commercialize or translate a different part of my whole research life Right. Um, bearing in mind as well that they're all teaching too. Like, like you said, yeah. organizations are happy to hear from non-academics around their area of expertise. So why couldn't an academic go into an organization and teach something, you know, as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then again, it, it's not limited to discipline. So I've, you know, worked with social workers, engineers, biomedical scientists, psychologists, and all of them have, the very similar problems. They all have a similar fear of using social media. They all have a similar fear of industry. And these are all legitimate fears. Like going, getting onto social media for the first time is daunting. You think yeah. that there's billions of people listening and they, there could be, but no one's listening. No one's really, really paying that much attention. <laughs> correct. Correct. And then it's about going, okay, now it's about, and then you get on social media, you realize no one actually is listening. And then that becomes a problem because you need an audience. So how do you build an audience? So we go through a bit of that in the book as well about building an audience on social media and then, you know, recognizing that some people might be more or less extroverted, what different approaches will be more or will be better or worse for you. Um, taking some of what you've developed already around, you know, not spending a lot of time on social media because we all know it could become a, a time sink. And if you've already really busy, yeah. Um, spending more time on social media is probably not a good thing for a lot of people. So those are the kinds of things that are there yeah, that are covered in the book. And um, Richard, I know for those who are listening and we you touched a bit on LinkedIn and I know you and I've done a, a bit of work around LinkedIn for lead generate. So Richard and I've collaborated and created a program called LinkedIn for research translation. And we've got an online course that we've built and, and uh, and uh, we use that as a, a tool to help those people who need some practical application of how do we do it and yeah. so we run workshops and things like that as well. Um, uh, based on, you know, I come from the LinkedIn technical side of, of what are some of the, you know, hacks, tools, you know, how to build a great profile, all that sort of thing. Mm. And Richard really comes from the space of how does this, how is this relevant for uh, an academic researcher or those in that space? What um, what tips do you have for them that they could maximise the use of a of a LinkedIn profile? Yeah, so I think content. You, you and I talk about that a lot. I think content is what people struggle with. What can I put out there? So I think if you're not putting out content, it's hard to be seen as an expert. Mm. Uh, and as an academic, I would say you've got a ream of content in all of the journal articles that you produce. And, yeah. and I think you lack confidence in putting stuff out there that is perhaps opinion rather than what you might consider to be fact. Yes. I would say that you could rest on your journal articles and say, yes, they've been peer reviewed. Yes, they're excellent pieces of work. And you could talk about those. The main thing to do or the thing to avoid is to, to do, make it, accessible so don't talk in the jargon that you may have spoken about in your article mm -hmm. and avoid being overly technical and posting content that says here's my latest journal article 
unless it's a nature paper, which itself comes with a lot of kudos, I wouldn't be saying that. I'd be saying, here's what we did. Here's what we found. If you want the science of it, here's the link to the science. And so that, that I think is an easy way to start with content. Right. On LinkedIn. And, you know, we know that that's worked for researchers. We've seen them do that and go from having essentially zero interaction on LinkedIn to literally a quarter of a million dollars in grant funding for mm. research. So we know that it's possible. We know that it makes a difference. Yeah. And what do you, what advice do you have for them? For, like if you're on LinkedIn and like reaching out or trying to find those people who might be interested in their research or going out and working with, with industry, do you have any advice for them on um, like how they would position it or what they might say or um, how would how would they go about that? What are some of the first steps? We're connecting with industry part, potential industry partners on LinkedIn. I, I, for me, what I recommend and I hope that people follow is understanding what it is that they want to get out of their their time on LinkedIn. So. Like, like I said before, not everything will be something that you want to commercialize or talk about. So know that upfront before you start on LinkedIn. Okay. And then if there are companies or are industries that you're interested in, do a bit of a stalk and that's okay. Stalking's good. And <laughs> what is it, Paul? Yep, exactly right. So, and find out who they are. And then there'd be no reason, like I, I say this a lot, if you were at a conference and you bumped into someone who you thought was interesting or found someone on a list that you thought was interesting, Mm -hmm. maybe you can go out of your way to find them and chat to them. So I, there's no reason why you can't apply that same thinking to LinkedIn. So if you went up to a stranger, you wouldn't just tap them on the shoulder and give them your business card. So yeah. the equivalent of LinkedIn is to just connect, whereas you shouldn't just connect, identify that there's someone worth connecting with. Let's say they are the research and development manager of the company you'd like to become an industry partner. So ask for the connection, but in the connection request, explain why you think your relationship would be useful. And of course, if you saw them at a conference, you wouldn't say to them, Oh, I'd like you to spend a million dollars with me on this project. <laughs> say I'm a researcher. I'm interested in, you seem to be interested in, let's have a chat. And that's how you build the relationship. And um, you know, all of this advice I've got, got mostly from you, Jane. So, <laughs> yes. so it's been like I'm telling you your own advice back to you. Uh, well, it's been a team effort because I've learned a lot from, from Richard, which is why I really wanted you to jump on today. Cause I know, you know, we both work with a lot of academics and researchers and I, you know, to be able to tap into Richard's knowledge and expertise is just so valuable. I wish I could take you to every, course <laughs> that I have so I'm often sharing what I can based on what Richard's done because mm. I know the work you've, you how you've supported people but the impact that you've had for your end users and you know behind the scenes and helping people get that work yeah. in the right people's hands um and so Richard what does the next 12 to 18 months look like for you like what are you working on and yeah. and um what's happening particularly off the back of the book I guess yeah, so off the back of the book, trying to build, um, I'm interested in building a bigger networking group around people working with industry and, and connecting with industry. Mm -hmm. so if you're interested in joining a group like that, feel free to reach out to me and say, I'd like to be involved. Mm -hmm. um, and then I guess as with all of these things, you know, we both do Thought Leaders Business School. Sometimes once you finish one thing, it's all about the next thing. So <laughs> this book is going to be one of three. So this is Connect the Docs, D-O-C-S, not D-O-T-S. Oh, Connect the Docs. Yeah. I just read it. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Um, and so there will be Join the Docs, D-O-C-S. Oh. So this book is 
academics to industry, join the docs will be industry to academics. Ah, okay. And then there'll be doc to doc. So, and that'll be academics collaborating with each other. So that those next two books, so industry to university and academic university to university, they'll be the next two books, but my passion and where I'm going and where I really want to head is working really closely with PhD students. We, we train a lot. They are, a great foundation for our economy, for our research sector, but also for our non-research sector. And yes. I feel like at the moment they're massively underserved, massively under underutilized in terms right. of a resource for companies, not just for research companies, but non-research companies. So I'm keen to work on both sides of the coin, as it were, the, the training side and the, the employment side on how we can um, best work with our PhD graduates. Yeah, they've got, I'm just always in awe of them when I'm working with them. I just think they're yeah. such, I'm so inspired by them. They have such incredible knowledge and expertise and, you know, it, just to be able to see them um, uh, make the most of the hard work that they've done mm. and be able to take that out to, to have the impact, as you say. Um, so, um, Richard, you've got a Facebook group for yeah. that particular group, so you can people join that or how does that work? Yeah, so a Facebook group called Beyond Your PhD. So anyone can join it. It's, uh, it, you should just be able to join, but if you can't, I'll, I'll approve most people. I'd, generally speaking, I am like to keep an open group. Yes. Um, no trolling, obviously, inside the group. And that, the bad behavior won't be tolerated as per <laughs> online uh, fora. Uh, and then I, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn as well. So Instagram is Dr. Richard Heisman's and Twitter is Richard Heisman's. Right. So we can reach out to you and get in touch with you if I want to work with you. And, and, uh, and also I'm thinking with your book, um, do you want to, for those who perhaps have got their own podcasts and want to, if they're in academia or perhaps even in industry and they um, have an audience that are sharing the type of work that you do, they can um, touch base and perhaps even, Um, yeah, yeah, I'd love that. If, on their platforms, yeah. Happy to contribute to other other platforms as well. And for listeners of this podcast and watchers of the video, I'm happy to send out complimentary copies of the book. Just get in touch. Let me know that you heard me on Jane's podcast. Oh, wow. We send you a copy of the book. Oh, that's fantastic. That's super generous. I would highly recommend anybody take that up. You know, you'll just learn so much from Richard. I know I have. Uh, and I'd highly recommend reaching out. So, um, so thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Jane. Thanks for having me. Thanks, listeners. All right. Thank you.